Hi, I'm Mike Haynes. I'm Managing Director, CEO of an ASX-listed company, New World Resources Limited. Uh, New World's got an exceptionally high grade, in fact, one of the highest grade copper deposits in the world, located in Arizona. And not only have we got the deposit, we're exploring it, making it bigger, and we're taking it to production. Mike, good to see it. Uh, well, I'm in your hometown. I don't know why I'm saying good to see you, but <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, right. So new story to our follower subscribers. Um, so I'd like to kind of kind of give people a big overview and then kind of get into the weeds a little bit with you about, you know, what, what the plans are. So tell me a bit about you. What's your background? Yeah. So Matt, I'm a geologist, geophysicist by training. I've been corporate now for the last 15, almost 20 years. Uh, and in fact, since 2005, spending most of my time in North America, um, more and more in the US rather than Canada over the last last 10 years or so and the reason I'm, I've been there I love project generation I, I love ore deposit geology I love exploration and I just love the thrill of, of trying to find the big one and the one that can be taken to production and and I think we're on to it Have you done it before? Yeah Yeah Yep So I've worked project generation most of my life No man listen give us some names but what's in terms of relative experience of what you're going to try and do with this project have you done that before yeah so uh going back 2008 i was involved in a company iberian resources so right yeah. we um we actually acquired a project in armenia in in eastern europe uh i guess former soviet union and it was a gold deposit and we took that to production and, and not long after uh commissioning the plant then it was taken over so okay so let's big tech take that box yep. brilliant and uh, the team around you, who, who are you working with that's relevant to, I mean, in terms of day-to-day -day stuff rather than just nameplate stuff? Well, um, coincidentally, and uh, well, I guess it is no coincidence, but uh, one of our non-exec directors, who's pseudo-executive, he's, he's very hands-on, it's a guy called Tony Polglaze. Tony Polglaze was actually intimately involved in, in the operations in Armenia. So uh, Tony's a metallurgist by background, and as well as an engineer, and he's a mine builder, so... Uh, he's he's on the board. Just two months ago, we appointed a mining engineer to the board, a, a very experienced guy, Nick Warwich, who used to run mining services business. So he knows how to develop mines and and uh, recruit people to, to build the mines. And then our chairman is a guy, a Perth-based guy, Richard Hill, who's probably a little, little bit more corporate than, um, he's also a geologist, but he's trained as a lawyer but very corporate and, and very good access to capital markets. Okay, so that, there's the team. What's the plan? What is, you talked about, yeah, super high grade, it is super high grade uh, copper, and yeah, I guess that, that the plan is let's try and make this thing bigger. All good, because the numbers look good now, but with scale comes you know, some real opportunity for you. So what, how did you pick this asset up? It really stems from the fact I've been in, operating in the US since 2005. And through that time, I guess 17 years and now past almost 18, and you build up a network of, of people who you do business with. And there was a financial guy out of New York who rang me one day, I was down in New Mexico looking for copper projects. He rang me and said, Mike, we've just done a deal on a copper project up in Northern Arizona. Would you be interested in having a look? And you always say yes. If you don't say yes, then, then you'd never call me again. So, so of course you'd say yes and said yes and, and this was a real unusual situation where and this phone call happened three and a half years ago every step along the way since things have got better and better and better which normally in the expiration and pre-production phase you drill holes things get worse 
uh, do metallurgy and you have problems, but in our case, everything along the way is getting better and better, which gives us the utmost confidence that we have a very, very robust mineable deposit here now. Right. Obviously, you put, you put a uh, main resource estimates or revise, updates it, mm-hmm. main resource of estimate, I should say. Um, market reacts quite well to that. Clearly, the grade's going to get people excited because any, anything over 1%, people get super excited about. You're selling at what? Uh, 4.1 copper equivalent. Yeah. Uh, but, but really, and our copper equivalent, we do it on a metallurgically recovered basis. So if we took the whole suite of metals, it would actually report as 4.7% copper equivalent. But with metallurgical recoveries, it, it just drops down a little bit. Okay, so so there's that. I think the one, the one th- I know you have been increasing the size size of the selling what's just under 10 million tonnes or so. Yeah, 11 and a half. 11 and a half now, sorry. 4 million. Sorry, yeah. how, how rude of me. Um, <laughs> so just again, the, the uninitiated, you know, the sort of ideal size for something like this, even with greys like you're, you're saying would be would be what? Because you've got, you, you've got a bit more work to do, I imagine, in your mind. So when we, we've been involved in the project for just under three years now. Yeah. And when we first got involved in the project, we thought at these grades, because these are super high grades, yeah. it's top 30 of the world in, on a copper equivalent basis. Um, we thought if we could be producing 500,000 tonnes or thereabouts a year for an initial eight, nine years mine life, we would have a very robust project. Mm-hmm. After a year, we, we thought the system's much bigger than that. And so we actually continue to explore. We declared a maiden resource two years ago, and oh, sorry, a year ago, after two years of exploration, that maiden resource was 7.7 million tonnes. Yeah. But the mineralisation continue to be completely open at depth and a long strike and we've continued to drill deeper and deeper. When we declared at 7.7 million tonnes, we thought maybe we could mine this at 800,000 to a million tonnes per annum. So two months ago, we upgraded that resource to 11.4 million tonnes and we're now thinking maybe 1.2, 1.4 million tonnes per annum, maybe for 10, 12 years. So things have just got better and better, but the greatest remained consistently very, very high. Right. So, so I'm always interested in the strategies here because if you, it sounds like you're building a, a team here going to build a mine, that seems to be the desire. It clearly, if the right offer comes along, it's the right thing for the shareholders, you're going to tell me you'd, you'd accept something. But it sounds like you want to do this yourself. So you, you've got the option of coming out in different ways in terms of starting starting small and continuing to build out the exploration and getting some cash flow going. I try and be anti-dilutory in style or try and, as the Canadians like to do, Aussies not so much, try and build up the, the potential scale of this thing before you kind of start at a flag and say, well, let's, let's build this thing out. So where, where, where do you sit in terms of how you move this forward? So if, even four years ago, when we set about finding a copper asset, our strategy was deliberate. Let's find a high-grade deposit. Mm-hmm. Let's find one in a jurisdiction where we can mine and let's take it to production because our position was middle half, of, uh, sorry, second half of this decade, so so 2025 onwards, we anticipated, and this is looking back four years ago now, we anticipated that copper prices were going to be much, much higher. So our strategy has always been... That, that was without the EV component. That was just based on infrastructure d- demand through population growth? or why, why Depletion of resources around the world, dependency right. on copper for, for infrastructure, just, mm-hmm. just there's multiple reasons to for us to uh, right. surmise that the copper price was going to rise. And then EV came along and... And just, probably EV was emerging yeah. at that point, but yeah. EV is probably um, right. uh, really exemplifying just, just the 
out the demand for copper or the, the probable demand for copper. Uh, but we, we just saw there was a lack of investment in copper with depleted resources around the world. So we, we thought it was going to be a very good position to be. Right. So, so sticking with the original question, so I've just, I've distracted you somewhat, is with regards to the plan as to how you move it forward, the timing I get, but you've got all sorts of considerations as a MD and CEO. You've got to finance the, the expansion component. You've got to think about timing of, you know, when you, you know, move, move towards an F, FID, you kind of kind of go through these economic phases. You then got to work out what's going to cost you. And, and obviously we've got some indication that it was a sort of just over 200. Yeah. Right. So it's not, it's not, you know, one of these big balance sheet exercises, you guys can do this. So give us a sense of the, how, the timing of, of all of these uh, moving parts in your mind. Okay. So maybe I can go back just a little bit before that. And you asked, what's our strategy? Is it, is it to build it up and, and wait to be taken over? Categorically not. Okay. So we, we see huge value in being in production, even at prevailing copper prices. Mm. So prevailing, so the nature of our deposit is it's, it's polymetallic. So we'll get credits for zinc, uh, silver, lead, and gold. Mm -hmm. Those credits pay for the operation. So there's more copper, there's more value as copper. Barney. So depending on what commodity prices you use, then it's about 51% of the value is in the copper, okay. about 40% in the zinc, and then a little bit in the lead, okay. silver, gold. Okay. So on a copper-only basis, then we will have negative cash costs for copper. And that's even at, a, a, well, below prevailing copper prices. We've done our initial study at 8,500 a tonne copper. Today, copper price is about 8,900 a tonne. So it's about 5% higher than the study price. But, but more significantly, the zinc that, that actually uh, essentially gives us negative cash costs, zinc price, we assumed, was 2,800 a tonne. Yeah. Today, 12% okay. yeah. higher, 3,400 a tonne. Yeah. So we'll have actually lower cash costs, lower negative cash costs than we've, we've anticipated in our study if, if spot prices prevail. Now, we all know spot prices aren't going to prevail for 12 years of operation. We've got to make some assumptions, but but the the margins on the project are really really good, so we're taking it to production as quickly as we practically can. Now we've um, we've continued to grow the resource over the last three years. Our target size has changed. Initially, I, I said five hundred thousand tons per annum. Maybe now we can do one point two, one point three million tons per annum, but that will be maxing out with a single decline. Okay. So with a single decline, which is modest capex, we probably can't mine sustainably or, or consistently at a higher rate than that. So we're committed to building a plant that okay. that uh, it, around that 1.2, 1.3 million tonne per annum production. Right. So, so, but how do, you, how do you kind of rip through the phases, as it were? Obviously, you're not taking shortcuts, but just in terms of accelerating to the point where you're starting to, to build and you're starting to process or and you're starting to generate revenue. So that's the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. So give me a sense of that. So the the process is really, and we're on the cusp of completing it. We've we've already done one conceptual mine design, okay, based on the seven point seven million ton. Interesting. What, what's that look like? Uh, the economics are fantastic. So yeah, I read through that. So so for roughly a, a nine to ten year mine life, the project would generate two billion dollars of uh, right. revenue, and almost a billion dollars of free cash. So right. for for. As we said, and, and now the fairly even, or is that where, are you kind of can you front load some of that? 
uh, in terms of capital. Uh, so that's pre-production capital. But okay. in, in that study, we've only factored it. Well, I shouldn't say only, uh, because because the the mine is very very simple. It's a single deposit, laterally vertically continuous. Quite compact. We don't need a lot of sustaining capital. Indeed, there's only thirty million dollars worth of sustaining capital right, in that okay. model. Interesting. So. It's a very modest CapEx development proposition that we see that we can fund ourselves and that we can manage that in our timeline rather than being dependent on a partner, a strategic BHP or Rio or, or someone comparable. And we don't have billions of dollars of CapEx and we don't have a five to, to 10 year construction period where we've got to raise that cash and then build it. Exactly. The, we, co the cost of capital side of things, it's, it doesn't sound like it's going to be too, too onerous um, for, you, for you at all. One, one of the things that, um, uh, thank you for explaining that. But one of the things I do want to talk about is um, doing business in the US. US is, seems to be very pro, you know, green, green, green energy, where um, EV, big, you know, the IRA that came out, you know, very supportive of building it and economy. But it seems, I'm not quite sure, and I think a lot of people have certainly written in and going, well, Saying that and doing that are two different things. There seems to be a lot of not in my backyard, please. And each state and each county in each state has its own view of these things. So in terms of uh, mining and the ability to mine in Arizona and, and the county that, you, that you're in, who else is around you doing it and will it work? Uh, this, where we are, we could not ask for better jurisdiction uh, to, to be developing a mining project in I think in almost the entire US. Right. So state of Arizona for starters, 70% of the US's copper is produced in the state of Arizona. So so as a state, it's a pro mining, pro copper mining jurisdiction. Is it big copper production? I know percentage wise seventy percent, but how, what are we talking about here? Well, well I couldn't couldn't tell you. Okay. Couldn't tell you tons. I, I know the US is still a net importer of copper. Yeah. So then their 70% still doesn't. Well, my point is they're a net importer of, of quite a lot of things because they don't want to do it there. They might, they'll go to friendly nations and say, well, we'll buy it, but that's... Yeah, look, look I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. There's, there's certain certain parts of the US where there might be that attitude. Right. Arizona itself, most of Arizona isn't like that. There's, there's multiple mines being built uh, in our backyard. And, and I think this is a, a very, very important part of jurisdiction. It's not just a state mm. and it's not just the county. It's in, it's a, actually where you are within that county right. is very, very important. So where we are, we are very sparsely populated and that's, that's a huge plus. We are on privately owned land. So it's privately owned mineral rights and privately owned, owned uh, surface rights. Okay. Which explains to me why that's really, really important. So... Mining law dates back in, in the US to 1872. And when mining law was established in 1872, if you had private mineral rights, you were assigned basically the right to develop those mineral rights. And those mineral rights, because law was established so back back then, that's grandfathered in the, min, the, the right to develop those mineral rights over anything else that subsequently prevails. Now, what you can't do is you can't develop your mineral rights at the cost of your neighbours. So you can't just go in and have an unconstrained mining operation that then contaminates waterways, creates dust, noise, yep. visual pollution. You, you can't do that, but categorically you have the right to develop privately owned mineral rights and we, we have 100% of our deposit is privately owned mineral rights. So we can develop them, we'll build infrastructure on privately owned land that's immediately adjacent and abutting our private mineral rights 
So that further gives us further rights. But our our neighbourhood is very, very sparsely populated. There's no flowing water at surface, but it's serviced by great infrastructure as well. So we've got uh, an interstate highway within 15 kilometres of the project. Along there runs transcontinental rail. Mm -hmm. Then we've got high voltage power, uh, sorry, mains power, not high voltage power. We'll need to upgrade the power, but we've got mains power coming to within 700 metres of the old headphone. And we've got a road that takes us directly to the headphone. But there's, there's only, between the town of Yaka, which is 15 kilometres away and us, there's about a dozen residences. So there's, it's sparsely populated, privately owned land, which makes development much, much easier. Right, and it's obviously got a bit of history to it, but a long time ago. So are there any, any other kind of infrastructure components which you could utilise? I imagine they've, that's... No, there's, so there was a small-scale historic production through yeah. until 1970. There's a head frame still standing on that. Right. It's an incline shaft, but it's a very small shaft. Okay. It doesn't... We've got to go again. Yeah, we, we'll build brand new infrastructure, brand new uh, mining infrastructure, brand new decline, brand new processing plant, yeah. uh, all all new. Um, but but just to elaborate on on the ability to operate here, just 60 kilometres to the west of us is a, is a gold deposit called the Moss Mine. The Moss Mine is an open pit, heap leach uh, gold operation using cyanide that was permitted in 2018 through to 2020. They're in production there using cyanide producing gold at that project and that's all within the local county that yeah. that we are in so so there's precedence in in our part of the world right okay so i think i think it's really really important point to to cover off that um with regards to um i'm sure you got eight nine million bucks yeah at the end of uh end of december we had just over nine million dollars we're, we're probably down to touch under eight million dollars because we continue to we're, we're aussie now not not yeah, us sorry. right okay fuzzy golf worth, worth clarifying and um in terms of what you need to do this year you've talked through some of the things you need to do are you kind of fully funded for everything that you need to cover off this year we are you are so so um this year the the real key milestones are uh, so well our overall strategy is to do two things, continue to grow the resource and get the resource into production. So that's our overarching strategy. In order to do that, we continue to drill exploration holes to make the resource bigger and bigger. But we've also got mining studies underway. Con con so you're, you're, sorry, what type of, are you doing infill in terms of bringing in M&I? We're, we're not yet expanding. So so uh, we're, we're completing a pre-feasibility study. Right. So so we're updating the scoping study. We published a scoping study in July last year, and we're updating that just with a new larger mine design. Okay. CapEx isn't going to change too much, but we think the, the annual production rate and the life of the mine will change significantly, maybe by 20%, 30%, and the mine life may, may extend by another two, three. So what, what, are the, what is the kind of arbitrage there when you're sort of thinking about these things? Because obviously copper's going to go on a good run, we, we, we suspect. Eh? Analysts suggest it, the bankers suggest it, in terms of price of the commodity. And we'll forget the disconnect between commodity prices and equities last year, but why is there an optimum size versus the kind of cut, cut, the, 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 the capex? Because you could say, right, let's double the size of this production here. But the capex thing is, like, for a company of your size, I guess, a difficult thing. But maybe the market, maybe there's other ways of financing this thing if you can deliver the copper and, into the market. But, and there's also a lot of company development companies who are, being held up, they're not able to get their copper into production. I mean, what what are the kind of variables that you think about when you're debating the scale and or in terms of output and cost? We've from the last two years, as as we started 
thinking seriously about applying for mine permits, our constraint has been how many tonnes can we pull from a single decline. Right. So, okay. so once you go twin declines, CapEx starting to going up. Right. So our, in, we, and we want to get into production because it, it makes the project makes so much money, yeah. even at a million tonnes per hour. Right. But if we can mine at 1.2 or 1.3 from that single decline, same CapEx, mm. then the payback on the operation is much, much faster. And the because you've got more production up front, the NPVs look better because of the discount rate. And so so to optimise the project as it currently stands, without us making it double the size, then to optimise it, we just need to mine that as fast as we can with a single decline. And we, we think we've reached that threshold. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But it's worth explaining again. Um, and then for, and because you're doing it yourself, I'm not looking to offload it, make it someone else's um, problem. <clears throat> In terms of the expansion element okay and again you think some drilling how many meters are we talking about uh we, we have drilled to this point we've drilled seventy thousand meters right over the last three years and going forward going forward we'll probably continue to drill with at, at a rate of maybe twenty thousand meters a year, okay. so slightly less because we okay. we know we've got that critical mass there but, but yeah. we'll continue to, to drill and and your is there any kind of historic data or additional whether it be geophysics or etc which helps you understand the sort of the, the shape and structure of the ore body, which leads you to believe that you could meaningfully grow the resource. Yeah, so so I guess the, the resource at present is has been drilled now down to nine yeah. nine hundred meters below yeah. the surface. Yeah. And it remains open. In fact, some of our best results have come from the deepest holes. For example, ten and a half meters at thirteen point seven percent copper equivalent. Yeah. The deepest hole in Southshire. And deepest hole in main shoots twenty one meters at five five and a half percent copper equivalent. So, so clearly the mineralisation remains open at depth. But by the time we mine down there, it's probably year nine, ten, eleven of the yeah. mine schedule. Yeah. So to incorporate that into a mine plan, you actually and and then discount the the forward production. Yeah. You don't you can't attribute too much value to that. So we're now turning our attention to a long strike. This is a VMS deposit. Typically, VMS deposits occur in clusters. So where you have one, you often have two. In our case, we've got Antler in the southeast of our pro sorry southwest of our project area. Seven kilometres to the northeast is another little de VMS deposit called Copper World. We have all the ground between them. We've done soil sampling over all of that. We have standout, discrete surface geochemistry anomalies, so strong copper and zinc anomalies at surface never been drill tested. Just in October last year, we completed a, an, a geophysical survey, an IP survey. Each of those soil anomalies has strong IP anomalies, strong geophysical anomalies on them, indicating that the mineralise, well, if it's mineralisation, if it's, well, we don't yet know whether it's economic mineralisation, but if these surface anomalies are coming from underlying uh, mineralisation, it looks like that mineralisation is all within 50 to, to 250 metres of surface. Right. So if we can discover some more tonnes there, being shallower, that can be developed earlier in the schedule than finding more tonnes at depth at, at the antler deposit itself. So for a period, our attention is, is our exploration attention is being turned to going a long strike to start testing some of these compelling geophysical, geochemistry targets. Right, so with with, with, with the PFS then, um, so what's the, what's the delivery date on that? PFS will be towards the end of this towards the year. 
Right. Okay. And the calendar year. In, in terms of the work that you need to do to kind of button down the the economics, not in terms of the, you know my building, etc., but in terms of rec recoverable uh, work that you know, in terms of what you've been doing so far with the Met work, what you yet to, to do with the Met work, um, you say you're fully funded for that portion. Um, again, what are the kind of improvements that you're looking for on your on your current knowledge on all that sort of stuff? Um. So our driving force for mining studies to this point has yeah. been to develop a, a robust mining study yeah. that we can use to apply for mine permits. Right. And so for that, we need indicative of recoveries of metallurgy. We need in, um, indicative size of operations. Yeah. And most importantly, to, to lay out where surface disturbances are going to be to illustrate that we can constrain all of our surface disturbances to privately owned land and then determine what the impact on the surrounds will be. So our our scoping study that we, we published in the middle of last year outlined that. We're updating that right now. We've almost almost completed the, well, we have completed the update of the mine design. Over the next two weeks, we'll, we'll update the mine schedule where we see that we'll have a, a bigger, bigger production rate and longer mine life. And that will be wrapped into an updated scoping study. Right. For mine permit applications. Okay, but, but specifically on, on the economics, you, you must know from the Jork originally, you know, you must, you've got a set of economics now, right? Yes. You're moving to the PFS. So there must be areas you think, well, we, we think we can meaningfully change and improve the economics if we spend a bit more time and money on, on these areas. So in which case, what are those? So, so we think we'll start getting minor um, improvements in, so currently 79% of our resources is, is indicated. Yeah. So there's high confidence in that. Yeah. I'm sure that when we do infill drilling, we'll hit, we'll have some even better holes okay. than we've had before. But equally, we'll probably have some worse holes. So I think the the resource is going to stay about where it is. Okay. Metallurgically, I have no doubt that we can improve um, our recoveries a little bit. We, we're already at high 80s for copper recovery, high 80s for zinc recovery, which I think is... We, we aren't going to do too much better than that because... If we try pushing, um, we've done tests where we get 96% copper recoveries, but that comes at the expense of zinc. And so we might only get, say, 70% zinc recoveries. And so it, in this case, because there's a lot of value in both the zinc and the copper, it's about maximising payability. So I think ultimately we're only going to ever be operating at about high 80s for both. Okay. Okay, so so far, not much change. We're yep. forecasting, hopefully. What are the areas where you think you can, you know, exact some so, change or approve? So, so we need to de-risk things for okay. for the financiers. So they're going to want more certainty on geotech, right. so so that they know what's what's um, that the ground that the underground mine's not going to collapse. Okay. Um, in terms of fill, the, the ore is so valuable that we don't want to leave any pillars behind. So we need a fill methodology that is going to see us recover as much of that deposit as we can. So we need to, we've made some assumptions on that, educated assumptions. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the guy who led our scoping study, his expertise is Paceville. So it's very educated, but we haven't done too much work on our particular deposit on the fill. So so as part of pre-fees, we'll be fine-tuning that. Right, okay. Okay. The, yeah, I think it's, that helps. Because so, I'm always interested in this phase of the evolution of, of, of the story in into space because the economics start mastering because 
you can change people's perception of what the blue sky is, what the upside is at, at, at this point. And I do appreciate to get that you got it with damning finance as well. So it's important to you know, go, go through that process. And um, so you obviously saw a little bit of an uptick in, the, in recently. People got a little bit excited. So what do you put it down to? I, I assumed it was a nice, you know, uh, resource upgrade and people got excited about that. But it's still a, your company of what size? 110 mil market cap. For How's that feel? Oh, look, I feel a little, a little bit um, under duress. Uh, it'll be, but I think, well, to put it in perspective as a base case, yeah. then we have eight years where we can mine at an average rate of a million tonnes per hour. Yeah. And each of those years generates 200 million Aussie dollars yep. free cash. Yeah. Each of those years. So that's eight, eight times uh-huh. 200, which is 1.6 billion of free cash. What are people not getting? And our market caps. So that's a base case. Since then, we've increased the resource by 48%. Yeah. We're going to be generating probably 25, 30% more free cash each year. So, yeah. What are they not doing? What do they not believe that you're going to be able to deliver? I think the Australian market is is not understanding that you can build a mine, a copper mine. And this is a small mine. This is a... For less than a billion. (laughs) Well, in Arizona. In Arizona. Right. So I think if, if this was out the back of Kalgoorlie, or out the back of Meekathara or next door to Sandfire yeah. Russell deposit, yeah. then the valuation would be completely different. But okay. we have this opportunity now to to de-risk the project to the investment community by by demonstrating that yes, we can get mine permits and yes, we can build this mine. Remind us what's the timing on mine permits? What mine submit. So we're intending submitting them in the middle of this year. Right. And mine permit approval process is is around several several years. Around two years. Two years. Yep. Okay. So we need to go through this two and a half year process, de-risking it by getting mine permit approvals. And I'm extremely confident as as we go through that, rising copper price, uh, de-risking it by having approvals and having feasibility studies done, we we have to be re-rated. Right. And there's some part of the problem, there's the timeline to mine license. By then, hopefully, you've raised a bit of money and, you know, got designs out of the way and you're, you know, ready, ready for a final investment decision, is that what you're thinking? Would you be but, around the time that the license goes back? Yes. yes. Okay. Yep. okay. So, and then it's what, 18 to 24 month build? Uh, around 12 to 18 months build. Okay. It's a, it's still only a small... So it's four years away. So that might be what people are talking, thinking about. Is that a, is that reasonable, unreasonable of them to think that? Well, we've had the project for just under three years now. Yeah. And in three years, we've taken it from something that was last mined in 1970 to something that's now got 11.5 million tonne super high grade resource yep. on it. And that three years has gone like that. So I think plus four years, or seven year project, seven years to, to production. Yeah, I think- It's not too shabby, is it, really? I think most of these other copper mines, they, they're gonna be, it's gonna take them five to 10 years to, to finance them, the, the big ones. Yeah. Five to 10 years to finance them and then and build them. So I just don't see that, that there's too much production coming on in this period, which is why we're pushing to production. But as I say, even at eight and a half thousand dollars a ton copper, the project makes extremely good money. If copper price is nine thousand, ten thousand dollars a ton, it makes even better money. So we've we're just pushing to get this into production as quickly as we can because no one no one else is filling this gap. They're, they're definitely not. Certainly on the on the on the grey front, or quite frankly, new product production getting into market. Uh, a lot of things being held up in like South America. A bit of a basket case at the moment, and and the and the US has you know got a few stories coming out as well. But you've explained why Arizona you know should work. 
Um, so, so for you, you, you kind of feel that there's no other sort of challenges that you're concerned about that we haven't talked about today as far as, you know, developing your business. I guess you've got money for now, but are you confident about being able to raise capital for yeah. a US project? We're very, very confident, but ultimately it comes down to, as, as we were saying, I, I believe we're cheap. Yeah. We don't want to dilute existing shareholders. And so it's cost of capital is, is essentially the, the biggest challenge to us. We, I have no doubt. We could fund this today if if we were ready to go. Now we're not quite ready to go. Mm -hmm. So the key for us is to ensure that we don't dilute shareholders unnecessarily along the way, but equally that we have sufficient cash so that we can get through this phase. Okay. Okay. 2023, the year for copper companies. Thanks for coming and seeing us. I really enjoyed that story. That was great. Thanks very much, mate.